Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I love this Gospel very much. And I love how our Church uses this Gospel. This Gospel is first, it's placed in the final week of this month, of this month of Tut. In the second week, we saw, we, we, we heard the command from our Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And here we see that the church puts this woman as an example in her ability to love, in her ability to love, not just in her ability to love, but her great exalted example of loving much. She loved much. She didn't just love good enough. She didn't just love mediocre. She didn't just love in a satisfactory way. But she loved much. And I also love this gospel because it's placed in the middle of the midnight hour. The midnight hour of the Agbeya. Not the first service, but the second service. And Abuna Matta al-Maskin, Father Matthew the Poor, he writes that this second service, which revolves around the gospel of the weeping sinner, whose many sins the Lord forgave because of her, of, because with great energy, she unceasingly kissed the Lord's feet, thus professing her great love. Here, the church actually experiences an encounter with the Lord which every soul uncovers its sins in the same manner while showing great love. And hear what he says, while showing great love through the great energy of prayers and gratitude in the same manner, though unseen, of kissing the Lord's feet. He's basically saying by the fact that we rise up to pray the midnight hour, we are showing great energy in our love towards Christ. And we show this, and it's as if we're kissing His feet. And the signs of the heart, he says, he goes on, in place of tears, and the successive adoration, in place of wiping His feet with the hope of forgiveness. And then he says at the end, so I can hear that voice full of joy saying, your faith has saved you. As we keep our theme of this year alive, we have to keep it going. What's the theme of this year? Philippians 3. 10 to 11, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. So this knowledge of Him is obtained through our love for Him. How do we show our love for Christ? We have to see this woman's example. And in particular, I'm going to focus on the words, for she loved much. Now usually... I have to say, usually I feel I'm, I'm gentle in how I approach things, but today I have to exhort, I have to warn, I have to goad on to per perfection, I have to wake us up, all of us, collectively. I have a funny story before I be serious again. My sons recently started jujitsu, and the professor, after one of the kids started to cry, not one of my sons, but another kid in the class started to cry um, because they got hit. Right, so the jiu-jitsu professor, he says, he, he, he had a funny accent, he's, you know, he says, this is jiu-jitsu, this isn't ballet, right? You're going to get hurt, you're going to get hit, but we've got to control ourselves. 
And we can't be uh, expressing ourselves and just crying. We have to control ourselves. And, and in a way, I, I, it was a reality check for me. Okay, yeah, that's not ballet, it's jujitsu. But here, this is church. And church is something that we have to be able to hear if we're not doing something perfectly, if we're not doing something honestly. And so today I'm trying to convince and rebuke and exhort, but with love. So what are the things that she did to show that she loved much? Number one, she goes and she buys a very expensive alabaster flask of oil. If we take a story from another gospel, in another gospel, Judas complained and he said, this could have been sold for 300 denarii. 300 denarii, it's easy to know how much that is. One denarii is for one day's wage. So 300 denarii for 300 days wages. So this was a very expensive flask of oil. She uses her wealth, even if she got it in a bad way. If she got it as a prostitute, she uses her wealth in order to repent. Wealth, the wealth that we have ought to be used in our relationship with God. And from the very beginning of time, as recorded in the, in the, in the, in the Bible and Scripture, humanity has always used what they had in their relationship with God. The very first story, Cain and Abel. Cain doesn't use the best of his wealth, uses the leftovers. Imagine he had these fruit trees and he gave God all the figs that fell on the ground and they were bruised and he didn't want to eat them so he gave them to God. And Abel took the best of his flock and every time it was commanded of the people of Israel, every time you come into the presence of God, don't come empty-handed. And today, if we mention giving to the, to the poor in order to repent for anything, people might think we're buying forgiveness. If I say, you know, in order to repent, you should give to the poor, people think, oh, this is a way that, like the Catholic Church, in some way we're buying. It's not about what we do, it's the intention. It's the intention. If I do it out of love for God, anything I do out of love for God, it is accepted. Christ said, if you give a cup of water in my name, you will by no means lose your reward. But I can give a cup of water in a very unchristian way. I can do things in a very unchristian way. Do I receive a reward for that? No. It's the intention. It's the way that we do it. If I do it, and I do it in a way that I don't return back to my sins, then it's acceptable. But if I say, look, I'm going go, to go out tonight, I'm going to party, and then I'm going to give something to God tomorrow, and then you know, the next time I do something bad, I'm going to give to God. If it's just a cycle, then we're just like Israel. And Israel went through this cycle over and over and over again, where they would... They would be good with God, and then they would sin, and then God would punish them, and then they would cry out to God, and they would repent, and then He would forgive them, and then they would sin again, and then they would cry, and they would be punished, and then they would cry out, and then they would sin again. And God said, in the book of Isaiah, He said, Seeing they will not see, hearing they will not hear, lest they turn to Me and repent. And it was because of that cycle. He was breaking the cycle. He says, it's enough. So now on, you're not going to understand. I'm not going to allow you to repent. I know it's difficult, a topic for another time. If today I do something wrong and tomorrow I want to repent with my wealth, 
This is a way that I can show that I love God much. For she loved much, and by doing so, she used her resources to do something for Christ. <clears throat> What's the second thing that she did that showed her great love for Christ? She faced a closed door. She faced an uninviting room of people who all knew that she was a prostitute. She faced a host in the house that did not want her to come in. She also faced the uncertainty of what Christ was going to do. She did not know for sure how Christ was going to react. But she did. To the best of her ability, she came forward in her shame, in her anxiety, in her brokenness, and in her vulnerability. Look at all that she overcame. Look at, just, just imagine that one more time. Think you have to get into some place. There's a closed door. The person that owns the place doesn't want you in there. The people in there don't want you in there. And the one person that you want to see, you're not really quite sure how that person is going to react. But because she loved much, she went forward. What do we face ourselves? What do we face that's preventing us to approach God? To be honest, some of us, we can't even face ourselves. We can't even sit with ourselves long enough to examine ourselves and our sins because it's uncomfortable. Or maybe we don't have time. The only silence in the day that we experience now is when we look at a screen, when we're reading something. We don't actually sit in silence. And our lives are so busy with nonsense and trivial tasks in comparison to the kingdom of God that we're so exhausted at the end of the day we just plop into bed. We don't even have time to pray one psalm. And then we wake up in a hurry and we got to do it all over again. What do we face in comparison to this woman? The door of the house was closed. But when it was opened for her, it was opened for all of us. She was the courageous one that knocked on that door. She did most of the work for us. Because now we can approach Christ. We don't have fear of closed doors anymore. It's the opposite. Christ says to us in, in, in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It is we who have the power to open that door. And it is we who have the power to keep it shut. And even in the Song of Songs, there's this time where he says, his hand is on the door as if he reached in to open and he's ready to open once he's given the okay. But the answer she received is the answer that we all received. My love for Christ compels me to open the door for him and to share everything with him, good or bad. Look at her courage to face the crowd, a room filled with people judging her, and to face Christ. And she did it for all of us, because in doing this, she asked the question, how would Christ receive a sinner of my degree? And the answer she received, she received for all of us as well, your faith has saved you, go in peace. But we can't even 
get ourselves to confess to a priest. And here we see an act of tremendous love and great courage in her silent confession, in her humiliation. Christ lifts her up from her sins and give her, gives her the peace that she's looking for, helps her to overcome her shame and her anxiety and her vulnerability. And she showed us one of the greatest examples of love toward Christ. What are the closed doors that we have? We have to open those doors. We have to move past that to reveal to Christ who our real self is. For she loved much. What else did she do? She stands behind him at his feet, weeping. What does it mean she stands behind him? Imagine a table and how they eat at the table. They come down and they're reclining at the table. Right? So forgive me for the... Uh, they're reclining at the table. Where are my feet? And where's my back? You see? She's coming behind him and she just grabs his feet. She doesn't look to face him. She grabs his feet. And what does she do to his feet? His feet which have not been washed. She says, he says later on to Simon, you did not wash my feet. So his feet which have been walking through the mud in the streets of Jerusalem are now there and he's there with his dirty feet and she stands over them weeping tears falling on his feet and when she sees that the tears are, are falling on her feet she wipes them with her hair and even the fact of her uncovering her hair is another is another uh, act that she does in humiliating herself she uncovers her hair she wipes it and she kisses his feet and she anoints them with this fragrant oil. She does not face him. She says nothing, but she weeps over how far she has gone, over how much she has lost her humanity because of the sin. It's not about I did X, Y, and Z wrong. It's about this losing the image of Christ, losing the image of God that's within her that we've been created with. She felt it. She was sensitive to it, and so she does this courageous act. And that's why in the midnight hour we pray, Give me, O Lord, fountains of tears, as you gave in the past to the sinful woman. Make me worthy to wash your feet, which liberated me from the path of straying, and to offer you a precious fragrant oil, and to gain through repentance a pure life, so that I may hear the voice full of joy, your faith has saved you. Today, in so much of what we see in social media, so much of what our children are bombarded with, no one, not one single person cares about the effect of sin on your life. Don't tell me lying is a sin. Don't tell me this type of pleasure is a sin. Don't tell me gambling is a sin. I don't want to hear it. Let me just do what I'm doing. Or, or I'll say, you know, like I'm doing all this other good stuff. Let me just have this one we call it a guilty pleasure. And the problem for us is we are, forgive me, more like the Pharisee than we are like the woman. We like rules. Everybody likes rules, but for other people. They like the rules to apply to other people. The rules show how much we love God. God, Christ said to us, if you love me, keep my commandments. So the rules are there for us to show our love for God and when we follow the commandments, we grow in our love for God. But because we don't love much, keeping the commandments is not a priority. 
because she loved much, she saw the debt that she had incurred, and she saw the loss of time, the loss of energy that she spent on things so much less important than God. But because she loved much, she did something to change. How would you feel if Christ spoke to you and said, Daniel, I entered your house and you gave me no water. Or Daniel, you entered my house and you gave me nothing. You gave me no kiss. You did not anoint my head with oil. To whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. I will dare to say that she was forgiven because of what she did. Simon did nothing. And little was forgiven of him, for he loved so little. Now we come to church, and forgive me, we demand to receive Holy Communion. That's right, we demand it. All of you and myself, we demand it. And I'll tell you how, how I came to this idea. We say, I came at a good hour. I didn't eat anything in the morning. I didn't drink anything last night. I even, I confessed to my father of confession. Who are you, Abuna, to tell me you can't take Communion? Isn't that demanding to take communion? Isn't that saying I followed X, Y, and Z rules? It's not my right to take communion? She approaches him from behind. She doesn't even want to see, she doesn't want to even look at his face. She feels unworthy to even look at his face into his eyes. She approaches him from behind. She embraces his feet and she weeps enough tears to cause those, that water, that, those tears to flow on his feet. And I approach to partake the body and blood with the same emotion of when I'm checking email on my phone, or I approach with the same emotion as, you know, whatever, I want to see what's new streaming on Netflix. Think about, think about what we do in our day-to-day -day life, and then how we're approaching Christ. Even just think about the Word of God, listening to the Gospel, listening to the Pauline Epistle. Oftentimes we look at it as, okay, just whatever, whatever, we're just waiting for communion. I have more emotion over a scratch on my car than I do in my partaking of the body and blood of Christ. And you can challenge me on this. I've had a scratch on my car and I take communion. Right? So I'm talking to myself as well. It can't be this way. And so when I say we demand to take communion is because we're coming but we're lacking the, 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 the right attitude. The right, the right mindset. If I were to say, the person sitting in the eighth row, in the fourth seat, whatever, you're not taking communion today. I don't know what, which word, I'm not, it's not true, don't count seats. Hey, hey, look this way. <laughs> but you, everyone would say, why? What's the purpose? What's the reason behind it? And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not doing this for anything, but I'm just saying, what about the attitude of being, maybe I shouldn't take communion. Maybe I do need to prepare myself. I'm not approaching, I'm definitely not approaching like this woman. And I have these wonderful prayers for communion. I printed up a couple and I'm going to hopefully print up uh, some more that we can have. I just need to put it in a nice format. But it, it, we say, even as you did not reject the woman who was a harlot and a sinner like me, when she approached and touched you, so also be compassionate with me, the sinner, as I approach and touch you. And as you did not you were not disgusted by her defiled and polluted mouth which kissed you, neither be disgusted with my mouth which is more defiled and more polluted than hers. 
nor my lips which are loathsome, impure and unholy, nor my tongue yet more unclean. We use her as an example of how to approach the body and blood of Christ. And just admit if it's, if it's there that the attitude that we might have is off. And this is collective, starting from all of us. The attitude is off in our approaching Christ. Let us begin to change our hearts. Because the heart is what will rejoice in the commandments of the Lord as the psalm, as the psalm says, Psalm 19. The heart leads the body. The heart directs the words. The heart manifests itself in the way one asks, acts. So where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And what is in your heart is who you are and how you act. So please, we have to admit our, to ourselves the attitude and we have to change it. We have to lose the sense of entitlement. We come and approach Christ in a way that is completely opposite of this strong and courageous woman and we need to change that. We need to approach with fear. We need to approach with trembling. We need to approach with, with preparation. That's the point, preparation. So examine yourself today. Ask yourself this question, why did I even come? And if you do not know why you came today, then, then be careful about whether you approach. You have to get your mind right and your heart right. The fathers would say, the, the, the body and blood of Christ is a consuming fire. It burns the impurities of those who are coming with the right attitude, and it burns with judgment those who are coming with the wrong attitude. What did I bring to offer to God today? Give God your heart. My son, he says in the Proverbs, give me your heart. Give God your time. Give God your love. Give God the sacrifice of praise. It's easy to give money. Money is a way that we can kind of calm our conscience. But maybe not as easy as what this woman has done. Do I love God as much? Do I want to love God as much? Do I at least love God as much as I think I love Him? I'm sorry to say that oftentimes we do not love God as much as we think we love Him. Let us pray to God and ask Him, God, let me love You as much as I possibly can. As much as I possibly can. And let us pray these words from the midnight hour, Give me, O Lord, many fountains of tears as You gave to, in the past to the sinful woman. Make me worthy to wash your feet, which liberated me from the path of strength, and to offer you a precious fragrant oil, and to gain through repentance a pure life, so that I may hear that voice full of joy saying, Your faith has saved you. May God be glorified now and ever into age of all ages. Amen.